Welcome to Paths of Glory, a Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. Amon here, continuing our Warband Wisdom series, where Jonathan and I are taking turns covering each Warband with a special guest. We want these episodes to be as evergreen as possible, but as a point of reference, this episode was recorded on May 26, 2020, and this is right after the release of Hrothgorn's Man Trappers and the Worm Spat. There has been no far at this time, so we've been in this meta for a little while now. And uh, today, my special guest is Jonathan Colson, who's here to help me talk about the Far Striders, which is the final warband from the Shadespire season. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Amon? I am doing okay. Had a pretty good Memorial Day weekend, uh, as we were kind of talking about earlier. Uh, spent a lot of time relaxing and doing nothing and and i really enjoyed it though i can understand why uh, it's getting kind of old <laughs> yeah so talking about my first days huh that's right that's right so we're going to start the the conversation off with just a little couple introduction questions just so our listeners who are not necessarily familiar with who you are or, or your prowess with the fire Riders can uh, can get more familiar with you sound good yeah Cool. So first question, how long have you been involved with Wargaming? So I picked up Wargaming with Warhammer 40K uh, about a couple years ago now, back in high school, so maybe four years ago. Uh, I picked up Warhammer Underworlds in Night Vault uh, before the Profiteers came out, and I chose Magors as my starting army. Uh, they performed really well for me. They got me through a 16-man tournament as top tier, or first place. And after that, I decided to shelve the Magors and pick up a new warband. And I ended up with the Farstriders there. Wow. So um, 40K, kind of a starting point for a lot of people in the, uh, I guess, the Games Workshop community. What army did you play in 40K? Uh, well, I started with Eldar. And then my friends hated me back in 6th edition. <laughs> uh, I got a really cheap Chaos Army. I stuck with them for almost the entire time. I'm picking up a Primaris Army right now because they have me interested in the regular Marines again. Oh, with the new release uh, and the new 40K announcements? They look pretty cool. They look amazing. Yeah. As a, uh, as a diehard Blood Angels fan... Um, I'm very excited for the Assault Primaris. They look pretty cool. You mean Reavers just with chainswords instead of uh, combat blades? Yeah, I've seen some funny memes, actually, uh, that it's uh, like Reavers are, are feeling pretty bad about it. But anyways, they look pretty cool. I'm just waiting yeah. for jump pack versions. So you started with Magoras, and then you went to Farstriders. And so uh, it seems like you've you've stuck with them for a while, which is really was really awesome. Um what aspect of the game do you enjoy most? Um, definitely rolling dice. Rolling dice is always fun. Uh, sometimes it makes me mad. Sometimes it makes me really happy. Rolling three crits is always a smile on my face and a big disappointment on my opponent's face. <laughs> I started the Far Shatters trying to build Controlly because I wanted to get away from the aggro, but the aggro calls to me. Uh, <laughs> And uh, a friend of mine was playing uh, Stormcast, the uh, Curse Breakers, mm -hmm. and his deck was just draw and pings. And I decided to emulate that with Farshriders, and I ended up with a very heavy ping deck, and it definitely compensates for the Farshriders damage. That's awesome. I really like how you mentioned rolling dice, because I don't know if anyone has ever answered that question so far, at least, in this series. Um, you know, dice is always kind of the most random element of the game. But it seems like you take it in great stride, you know? If you roll bad, you roll bad. If you roll great, then it puts a smile on your face, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just can't really get around it. But dice is necessary for the game. Otherwise, it would just be not Warhammer. It wouldn't be a Games Workshop game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I've had many similar conversations with some of my peers who want to put more uh, of a controlling aspect into the game. And I'm just like, hey, man, then it's just not Warhammer. 
you know, so. Yeah. Um, completely agree with you there. So you mentioned this 16-man tournament you won with Magors. Um, is that like a special achievement you're currently proud of in Warhammer Underworlds? And are there any others that you'd like to share as well? Uh, it's the biggest tournament I've won in first, other than maybe the uh, original online game that we had with where I won with Farsh Riders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've won a couple trophies over the course of my career, I guess. But I like that Magors one. Yeah, I mean, 16 man for a local event is pretty large, so you've got a pretty good scene. Are you working on anything game or hobby-wise right now? Um, mostly just painting my Primaris. Um, the hobby scene's kind of slowed down with recent events. Mm-hmm. Are you uh, are you painting a like a named chapter, or are you making your own? So I started painting the Sons of the Phoenix, which was a uh, white nice. dwarf chapter. Yeah, they're, I'm very familiar with them. Yeah, they're from the Imperial Fists. Yeah, they they're Imperial Fists, uh, all primary successor chapter. I'm in this yep. Facebook group called The Last Wall, which yeah. uh, is like only Imperial Fist fanboys and successors, and uh, it's really cool. And and there's a lot of really cool artwork and uh, and models done for them. So I highly recommend you check out that group. See now. I'm excited that they released that there are Trader Primaris recently in one of those uh, Psychic Awakening dissertations. Uh, so my Sons of the Phoenix are looking awfully chaotic. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> awfully fulgrimy. Who knows where their uh, gene seed comes from? Right, right. I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised either. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they uh, try to do some sort of Alpha Legion spinoff or something. So we'll see. <laughs> Cool. Well, I it sounds like you're pretty entrenched in the hobby, and it's really exciting to see you uh, touching different aspects of it and also doing so well with uh, Warhammer Underworld. So without further ado, let's go ahead and talk about the Warband in general, uh, specifically the Farce Riders. So what is it about them that makes them worth learning and playing? Okay, so the Farce Riders are a three-man warband, and three-man warbands typically have the issue of there are three guys, but there are four activations around. And not being able to take advantage of every activation around as an aggro warband is just very crippling for them. Mm-hmm. So they compensate with that with their three range attacks so that they can get good options and good flexibility in every activation without having to pigeonhole themselves into, okay, I have to charge this turn, or otherwise I do nothing. Right. Uh, in addition to that, they compensate for the three-man weakness of, oh, hey, I lost a guy, therefore I lose 90% of my flexibility by having that three-range attack, because they don't have to charge. They can still take advantage of all those activations. Exactly. And, and and is that what drew you to them? Is that why you like playing the Forest Riders is because you're able to kind of make up for those perceived weaknesses and kind of innovate and find other ways to potentially win the game? Well, I wanted to play Curse Breakers, but my friend was already playing Curse Breakers. I was like, well, I guess I'll try B-Team here. And <laughs> B-Team has become A-Team for me. Yeah. I mean, even in like some of those recent online events, right? Like, Fire Riders are still in the top 15, and Curse Breakers didn't even break top 30. So, looks like you're on the A team right now. Well, the Far Striders got a very hidden buff in Beast Grave. Mm-hmm. Like, every single change in Beast Grave just gave them more and more power. Adding a Lethal Hex compensates for their one damage range attacks. Mm-hmm. Adding mm-hmm. the choice to choose boards uh, instead of being forced into one or the other is a huge bonus for them. And it is just it gave them a huge power boost that people didn't really recognize. Right, right. And it, it's so interesting you mentioned the board choice because now I'm thinking, yeah, that's just normal, but I guess a while ago it wasn't. So um, very interesting stuff. So tell me about the fighters, right? So it's a three-man warband. What are they like, and how do they work together to you know, create that complete warband? All right, so... First is Swiftblade, the token sacrifice. Uh, he's got a range attack, like all of them, with a three fury, one damage, three range, 
and he has his melee attack of uh, three fury, two damage. Uh, he's got one block, four HP, and three movement, and he inspires to get two block and cleave on his attack. So his inspire gives him just the least amount of power growth out of mm-hmm. all of them. And so I usually like to use him as that frontline guy who's just there to take the first hit. Uh, the next person would be Eagle Eye, the second in command, and my personal favorite one. Uh, he is similar to Swiftblade in that he's got his three range attack, one block, three movement, but he has a two hammer, two, uh, two damage melee attack that goes three damage on Inspire. And the three damage breakpoint is very critical for these guys. Right. Um, he also gets access to Furious Blow, an upgrade exclusive to him, which is very powerful. It allows him to counterattack. Um, finally, there's uh, Far Strider. He's got uh, the two smash, two damage melee attack like Eagle Eye but he gets four movement to start, which gives him more flexibility in where you can deploy him and still have the him inspire. Uh, I did not mention yet that they inspire by ending their uh, turn in the enemy territory, mm-hmm. which is a tough inspire sometimes. Right. Especially considering the three movement on most of their fighters. But giving Farstrider four movement lets him deploy further back or get deeper into enemy territory to secure his inspiration. His inspire gives him a four-ranged bird attack, which has three fury and one damage, and on the critical, it does an additional damage. Um, It's not particularly powerful, in my opinion, but a lot of people find that to be like the most broken thing to have that range. In some matchups, it's really powerful. In other matchups, it's like, I guess I have this now. I'll use it over my other attack because it has the option of getting extra damage. Right. I mean, and I feel yeah, like that four range is pretty pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, it's nice. It doesn't come in use too often. Uh, the best thing about it is the fact that you can attack a Thundric outside of Thundric's range, mm-hmm. and there's nothing he can do about it. Right. And then he has to charge into you and then waste his activations. But that's the best use I've seen out of it. Maybe against a, uh, what's its name, Stormsire has also got the same situation. But... You're mostly using it because it has extra damage, not extra range. Sure. Uh, and that's the team. Not too many people, but uh, pretty decently powerful. Uh, four wounds is, is nothing to slouch at. So earlier you mentioned that uh, yeah, Almeric Eagle Eye is your favorite fighter. Um, because and, and you mentioned a particular upgrade. Is is that why he's your favorite? Or is just because like the way he looks, the fact that he has this cool pose? What, what's going on there? I didn't really choose based on the pose, but I guess he looks pretty cool with his arms out. Uh, He gets the three damage attack as his inspiration, which is Uh a critical breaking point for these guys, since they have some pretty limited damage on all of their attacks for the most part. Uh, Getting through a four-wound fighter is very tough for these guys sometimes. And so mm-hmm. three damage plus a ping or maybe a great strength or something puts him over that breaking point. And on top of that, with Furious Blow, which allows Eagle Eye to counterattack when an opponent misses an attack or he blocks an attack, uh, makes him deceivingly uh, defensive because people will choose not to attack him because they're afraid that he'll just kill them. Uh, it doesn't add like defensive value to his dice rolls or anything like that, but it makes your opponent choose not to attack him, which is probably the most powerful way to make someone defensive. Right. And for those of uh, our listeners who are not familiar with Furious Blow, it is a reaction 
during an attack action that targets this fighter and has failed, this fighter cannot be driven back and can make an attack action. It must target the attacker. And it's specific to Eagle Eye. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty solid. It also includes his range attack. So if somebody's making a range attack, you can counter it, mm-hmm. which is handy. Yeah, I, I, I learned that the hard way with my uh, with my Zarbag's gets <laughs> in our game. Cool. So, um, you know, you've kind of talked about some of the strengths and weaknesses of the Warband, but if you had to summarize that for our listeners, what do you think are this Warband's strengths? Well, they're strong in that they have their ranged attacks, and that compensates for some of their weaknesses, like being a three-man Warband. Uh, on top of that, they have four wounds on all their fighters, which is a very, very tough uh, wound count for a lot of warbands to get through. They'll have to spend multiple activations, and if you block one of those activations, it can just ruin their entire plan sometimes. Um, They also only have three fighters, which is a downside for you, but is also a downside in that your opponent only gets three glory for kills outside of Tome of Offerings or something. And so if they can't, if they end up tabling your warband, but you just happen to have more glory than them at the end, you still win. Um, they can get through their surges pretty quickly with some surges that really synergize with their three dice ranged attacks. And warning shot will make them the most accurate warband in the game. Let me tell you. <laughs> I think uh, I think that uh, you're not the only one who, who thinks that for sure. Okay, so um, I like how you, you know, kind of mentioned some of the, the, the strengths there. What about the weaknesses? Uh, you alluded to, you know, them being a three-fighter warband as a negative aspect of them, but what else? So they start out with one block, and one block is not particularly strong. Their inspire mechanic forces them to walk forward to inspire, which is not always the best position to put them in. Mm -hmm. And sometimes not inspiring is not going to let them tough out the remaining turns. Getting to your two block is very important for certain matchups and getting pushed out of the enemy's territory at the wrong time without a way to get back in is potentially devastating right. um they also have a low damage uh cap at the beginning so they only have two damage attacks and one damage attacks at the start and sometimes it's just not enough and if you don't start out with those ping poise to get through the extra wounds on some critical fighters it's kind of feels like you're stagnating your first turn and on top of that, if you lose two fighters, you're kind of just really in a perilous position at that point. So would you say that they are more reliant on uh, the damage-inducing gambits and ploys than, than some other warbands? Um, sometimes. They definitely need the Glory Seeker thing to make their uh, ranged attacks worth it against a four-wound fighters. But if they do get their upgrades and their ping ploys together, they can really just surprise somebody with just taking out a uh, Lund from halfway across the board with one ranged attack and a couple ping plays. Um, You can do some surprising stuff turn one uh, where your opponent has no chance to react at all with guaranteed ping plays and stuff like that, as well as uh, occasionally some person will put their two-wound dangle bro on the edge and you happen to get collapsed and uh, encroaching shadow for, oh, that's a glory for me. Now I get to start my steam rolls. Right on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. What strategies or playstyles do you find naturally successful with this warband? I mean, you know, we've talked about this, this style of staying in range and, and using some of these damage cards to help take down these fighters. Um, but, you know, is that is that the way you find them to be played most successfully? And are there any alternate ways to play them? So there's t- definitely only two ways to play them. They can't play the objective game, so they have aggro and control to them. 
the deck that I currently run can pivot into a pseudo-control style against other aggro warbands because I know the aggro is coming to me and the best way to deal with other aggro is to just not let them attack, not let them score their attack or their objectives based on attacking because you can attack without them attacking back. Against uh, objective warbands, your goal is to just uh, aggro them as hard as possible. Uh, your melee attack is more powerful against the uh, horde warbands as your melee attack usually can get through the two health of your opponent's dangle bros that are just running about trying to get these objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, putting in your ranged attacks to knock people off objectives and knock them into lethal hexes is also powerful, but Definitely, you can only do aggro and control, uh, and doing a pseudo control with your aggro deck works well. That makes sense. Even even when you are playing control, though, you're still kind of relying on the same strategies, right, as you are when you are playing the more aggressive variant of them? Yeah, you, you roll dice and hope for the best. <laughs> Don't we all? Okay, cool. What are the top five faction-specific cards that you find for this warband? Um, they've got some interesting faction cards from the old era of Shadespire. Uh, my, the ones that I run currently are Ranger Strike, where you have to kill two guys in a round, and it can be scored retroactively, which is nice Mm -hmm. from back to the old, yeah, the old Surge retroactively, uh, list. So if you kill two guys and you draw it, you can score it on the next activation, which is real nice. Um, Rangers Advance is you need to choose two fighters and push them both one, which is super nice. But uh, it's got the issue of Shadespire uh, text in which you can't use it when you've only got one guy left because you need to choose two, not up to two. Right. Um, Rapid Volley is super strong. It allows you to take a second shot with your Boltstorm Pistol. And if you combine that with something like uh, Stand and Shoot, you can shoot them a second time when they come to charge you, and the second shot can, uh, can drive the opponent back and deny them the charge and the entire activation, essentially. Wow. I actually didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um... Of course, Raptor Strike, because Raptor Strike is just super strong, as long as yeah. Fire Strike is alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and my favorite upgrade, which is Furious Blow, which is uh, Eagle Eyes Counterattack. And yeah. the counterattack is during an activation, which counts for things like Keep Chopping and helps with uh, Steady Assault. That's interesting. So, so Furious Blow can can help you score keep chopping even though it, you may not necessarily do it in your own activation well it's during the opponent's attack action instead of after the opponent's act uh, attack action which is a very key difference as mm-hmm. it means that something like doggos can still react with their bite even if you react with furious blow or stuff like that but it also means that it's during the activation, which counts for keep chopping. I've actually never even uh, considered that. So that just makes keep chopping so much better with them and that upgrade. And it makes that upgrade so much better than I thought it was. Um, so very cool. Very cool. And and those are the five that you take in, in every deck you built? Um, just about. Uh, I try to think uh, bring things like Lightning Blow, which is another old Shadespire uh, upgrade in which the wording doesn't say friendly, first friendly attack. It just says first attack action in the next activation. Mm-hmm. So if like I run up to do a charge against Thundric and they stand and shoot me, they get the lightning blow and I don't. Yeah. If you want it, you could play mind games and lightning blow on your opponent's turn when you think they're going to charge. And go like, hey, do I have stand and shoot? Do I not? Who knows? <laughs> that actually makes sense, yeah. It's not necessarily one of the cards that you really rely on. It's kind of something that you're trying to throw in. If It's like a ping damage, 
but it's not guaranteed ping damage mm -hmm. because you have to roll an attack. And, I mean, it kind of feels like it's guaranteed against the one dodge, but then it's, like, definitely not guaranteed against, like, three dodge or stuff like that. Okay. Well, the first five are, are awesome, and, and, you know, when I'm building Forest Rider decks, I take four of the five. I don't take the Furious Blow upgrade, but if, if some of the information you've shared with me uh, is correct, which I have no reason to believe it's not, then I think the value of that upgrade just went through the roof. So <laughs> definitely going to to check that out. And, and I'm I'll, I'll and you've looked through the FAQs as well and in Aratas, and you haven't seen anything that contradicts that. Contradicts I mean, that. No, there shouldn't be anything since uh, it says during instead of after. That's the key thing. That's the only thing I can tell would be the thing that would stop it would be if it were after but during mm -hmm. i don't know okay yeah that makes sense so let's move on then so let's uh you know we've talked about their best faction cards what are some universal objectives that this warband likes um you can give specific examples or just types of cards that they might rely on but you know what are you kind of looking for when you're building your fire shredder deck uh my Look is to look for anything that can be scored off of uh, one of their ranged attacks, as those ranged attacks are just going to come out naturally throughout the game. You are not going to charge every turn. You're going to have to shoot, otherwise you're going to lose activations. Um, so, warning shot and things that can trigger off of uh, shooting or Branching Fate, which is off of three dice, which you're throwing around like they're candy. Uh, right. And if you get those early in your hand, they can definitely cascade into getting into your next thing, into your next thing. And then your uh, surges that can trigger off of kills will start being able to become easier to trigger. Uh, I run Combination Strike and Great Gains as... On certain matchups, they just will trigger guaranteed. On other matchups, it might take a little bit of effort. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm looking for replacements for solid gains and versatile fighter right now, but there aren't very many great end-of-turn objectives right now. Mm -hmm. uh, there are Do you a run team of, effort? There are a couple of trap cards. Team effort is a trap. Don't run uh, it. Okay. If you lose two guys... Uh, it's not good. If you run Steady Assault at the same time as you're running uh, Team Effort, it will oftentimes contradict each other. Right. And you can't score both of them at the same time. Uh, and just your opponent can kill a guy before the end of the uh, turn, and now you have not enough guys to Makes score sense. it. Or I think Team Effort will be better in Magors or something since you're almost always going to use all three and there's less of a chance of losing your guys. Uh, another trap card is Death from Afar, as you need to be flexible about positioning all the time. You can't just charge to a three-hex away spot sometimes, and it gets stuck in your hand. Uh, you're also not killing with your attacks often, so sometimes triggering off of your attack or tri surges that trigger off of kills from your attacks might get stuck in your hand because you're often throwing an attack out and then following up with ping damage to get the kill instead of your attack being the kill. Um, unexpected Pitfall is really strong in this deck with all of their ping damage as well as uh, up against the wall or I'm thinking that's the name of the card. But it's a surge where you kill an opponent in the wall uh, on an edge hex. Mm -hmm. uh, strong starts, strong in this one. And I would avoid bold conquests, which is having a leader charge onto a uh, objective. As although Farshrayer has a four movement and a three range attack, running onto an objective is almost always going to be somebody's like, oh, well, now you're in a vulnerable position. And Farshider is not the most important out of the team, but, like, still important to trigger, like, Raptor Strike and stuff. 
Right. I don't necessarily think any of them are the most important fighter. Right, but you, if you had to, I guess, do a, a, a totem pole, you would put Elias at the bottom, for sure, Swiftblade. Yeah, definitely Swiftblade. I guess, de- depending on whether Eagle Eye has his upgrade or not, you're kind of flipping him and Farshrider around? Yeah. Eagle Eye can become Farshrider with some upgrades, and Farshrider can become a very dominant fighter with some upgrades. So you can choose one or the other to become your guy. Right. Uh, so it almost like, seems like most people go for Farstrider anyways. Um, you know, they know that they need to take him down because they don't want his bird to start, you know, nuking people. So it's kind of, do you ever use him as bait in that regard? I mean, you can, and he will work well as bait, but you have three guys well, the reason I asked that, as you mentioned when you were talking about your fighter recap, is that Elias is used as the guy that you stick in the front. was just wondering if you switch those strategies around, or you may like make a charge with Farstrider that could put him in risk, but again, um, your strategy well, there is to distract your opponent from some of your other fighters. Swiftblade's not so much bait as he's the guy who's got to be the first and uh, closest to the enemy. Uh there's not too many good hexes to starting hex next to your opponent. And one of them is going to have a lethal hex if your opponent puts a lethal hex there. So you got to have somebody in a vulnerable position, and Swiftblade is the least uh, useful. So I put him in the most vulnerable position at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't want the opponent to charge him, and usually I'll get him out of danger if I can. But he's got to be the guy who's the most vulnerable. Right. So I think the better way to phrase it is, do you ever let Farshrider be vulnerable or put him in a vulnerable position to use him as a way to distract your opponent's attention from another one of your fighters? Mm, Not really. Okay. He's still useful. Uh, Seeing the options to do it, but... I've not really chosen to throw him out there mm-hmm. as a sacrifice or as the uh, bait. He's going to do his thing. And if he happens to be uh, enticing for the opponent, yeah. I'll try to put him in a spot that will be helpful for a counterattack other than a spot that would not be helpful for a counterattack. Mm-hmm. But if I can put him in a spot that's safer, I'll put him in a spot that's safer. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Well, uh, let's talk about some of the universal gambits that this warband likes. So we've talked about ping damage a lot, so I don't know if we need to go over that specifically. <laughs> but what are some other cards that you know the Far Shredders like from a universal standpoint? Well, they like stand and shoot. That's a that's an old auto brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can stand and shoot with the bird, and if you happen to have, like, Glory Seeker or Fighter's Ferocity, it's like, oh, hey, you charged me. Here's four damage. <laughs> um, if you combine stand and shoot with uh, Duelist Speed, mm-hmm. you can deny your opponent's charge, just like with Rapid Volley, where you can just push yourself out of the one-range attack, and then they are still getting a charge token but they don't get to use their attack action. Right. Yeah. Pretty um, dirty. It's, it will ruin dogs, or the uh, Ripa's matchup, mm-hmm. and often a lot of those matchups where they have very limited fighters. Um, uh, a card that I love that nobody seems to enjoy right now is Lucky Escape, mm-hmm. which is, for the viewers who don't know, what it is, is when you take exactly one damage, you can react with Lucky Escape to ignore that damage. And this is very critical for these guys, because they have four wounds, and since they have a total of 12 wounds, this is basically just a great fortitude in reaction. Mm-hmm. Their four wound uh, threshold is really hard for a lot of people to get over. And so they'll supplement it with a lethal hex or a ping attack. 
So they'll throw in a three damage attack and then try and ping you to death, and you say, no, I have lucky escape. So there goes your charge. Now you're vulnerable. Uh, it's super handy. Yeah, sounds awesome. You it's, used that against me, actually, when I pushed one of your fighters into a lethal hex, I remember. It's definitely frustrating for the opponent when they have a plan and you just say, no, this plan will not work. And you right. committed to it already. Um, definitely want to run distraction. I tried without distraction with mischievous spirits instead because I was not outscoring some some objective decks sometimes. Uh, mischievous spirits is nice because it helps you get your lethal wards off, but distraction does the same thing and can push your opponent into edge hexes, can push you into a lethal hex. And to push them closer, it's too versatile to ignore. Uh, running Nightmare in the Shadows would be handy, but it's kind of hard to fit in without losing ping damage or other flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, so essentially what we're saying is that, you know, in addition to ping damage, you want cards that not only can alter your uh, fighter's positions, but also, you know, unfavorable positions for your opponents, perhaps some damage mitigation, and then, um, you know, finding ways to attack outside of your regular attack uh, actions. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, positioning and extra attacks are always very critical for the Barsh Riders. Yeah. Any, or any ranged, you know, attack warband, really, because uh, yeah. you have that innate advantage, so... Cool stuff there. What about what about upgrades? What what kind of upgrades are you looking for? Um. Well, I kind of mostly go for damage and accuracy. Uh -huh. uh, I have great fortitude. I would run deathly fortitude, but the restricted card and the movement penalty are pretty hefty on these guys. Yeah. Sudden growth, um, you mean? By the way. Sudden growth. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Tome of offerings, because. You're killing people. You Absolutely. Uh, Fighter's Ferocity, because it gives you extra damage on your ranged attacks. Glory Seeker. Uh, I run Great Strength instead of something else, because it helps me get to that three damage point on Farshider and Swiftblade, mm -hmm. and it puts me to the four damage point on uh, Eagle Eye, which is just very valuable. Yeah. It's a tough. It's tough to put it in because it just doesn't feel like it's going to get used that much, but it's it's still always going to be handy. It gives you options, lots yeah. of options. No, that makes sense. So, you know, making your guys hit harder, making them hit more often, and then maybe some survive survivability you find useful. And then again, you're using uh, furious blows, so you're trying to find ways to either. Uh, you know, attack over and over again, or maybe do the speed like you're trying to uh, continually be on the move and, and maximize that positioning, right? Yeah. Do the speed is very handy. Yeah. Just, uh, even if you're not using it with your stand and shoot, being able to put your far strider or your uh, eagle eye into a different spot without having you get a move token or a charge token uh, really gives you so much flexibility and positioning. Yeah, that's awesome. Sounds like you want to be as flexible as possible with these guys, so um, your upgrades and your gambits make a lot of sense here. So you mentioned Horde Warbands earlier and how you were um, kind of having trouble outscoring them in, in certain matchups. Um, so let's talk about matchups. You know, what are their preferred matchups? What are the matchups that they find most challenging? And how do you overcome those challenging matchups? Their preferred matchup is definitely uh, Grimwatch, uh, Goblins, not on dogs, uh, Ghosts, any Skeletons, anybody with a whole bunch of uh, low wound fighters. Uh, you could say Godsworn Hunt, the uh, Beastmen, anything with five or more is definitely a favorable matchup for them. And is that because generally the wound count is not as high because it's kind of dispersed between that warband? 
It's a mix of the wound count isn't very high, as well as the fact that they have to have somebody in range of one of your fighters at the beginning with almost every board. Mm-hmm. So it makes it so that you're guaranteed get keep chopping on turn one if you happen to get it. Right. Um, bad matchups would be other Stormcast type uh, warbands. Uh, Malog. Man Trapper, I'm still experimenting with. You can kill Man Trapper just by attacking him, and that will get you through it if you kill him. Uh, you gotta rely on dice, but if you can just like knock him down with three wounds and then finish him off with some ping damage and lethal hex, uh, they kind of fall apart. If they're control man trappers, it's pretty tough, but you can hopefully milk some glory out of the extra goblins and noblars. Um, the Doggos matchup is complex in that they're not very good at killing you, but you're not good at killing them. Right. So your goal typically is to take out Ripa, as he's the only one that can really kill you early, and then follow up with Stick It if you can. Me and I just doesn't do anything to mm-hmm. you. Just he tries. He tries. Right. Uh, um, Magors, you play completely differently. You stay back. You let the Magors come to you. Uh, this is one of the matchups where I would actually use Swiftblade as bait. Uh, you try and have only one of them be able to get to uh, Swiftblade at a time, and then you take Swiftblade and run away and have your other fighters take out whoever charged into them. Which is typically Gartok or Magor or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, um, but if you can keep them from getting charges off, they'll st- uh, they won't be able to score glory. If they can't score glory, they can't get their items on to start chopping you better, and they can't inspire. And it's a struggle for them. Yeah. If you go in brawling with them, they'll inspire and they'll just chop you up with cleave. Yeah. That makes sense. I do think it's interesting that Elias has Cleave, though. So maybe taking advantage of that in that matchup might be beneficial. Well, they only have one block. And True. you're rolling enough dice that you're going to get, like, two dice pretty reliably, two successes. Yeah. And that kind of has Cleave. Anything with two successes has Cleave mm-hmm. against one block. Um, yeah, so, that's a good way of looking at it, actually. So, I mean... Uh, Cleave is nice, but you're not inspiring anyways. Uh, Cleave against you is pretty bad, because once you go to two block, it really cuts down on your defense. Um, Playing into Thundrix is a very hard matchup. Uh, Your goal is to kill Lund as soon as possible, uh, because Lund can trigger uh, what armor... Steady shot, uh, headshot, all sorts of surges just from his own shot. And once they start scoring surges, they'll inspire. And once they start inspiring, now you're dealing with a super healthy warband. And these guys don't deal with super healthy warbands particularly well. If you can kill Lund and the spear guy uh, early before they inspire or after they inspire, the two remaining Dangle Bros might inspire, but they don't get damage, so they won't do much to you. And Thundric can, if you can stay outside of three range of Thundric, he can only do two damage a turn, because or two damage a round, because he has to charge to get to you. Uh, so you're trying to control them from attacking multiple times. Right. That makes a lot of sense. It's, so, it's a complicated matchup. Yeah, sounds like it. But uh, I haven't ever, I've, I've actually never played it on either end, but uh, looking for uh, uh, 
looking forward to, to seeing how it pans out when I do try it. So let's talk about boards. Um, how do you usually prefer to set up your boards? Does your deployment strategy change based on your matchups, or is it kind of just a general strategy? Um, the only matchup I really go uh, long board or heavily uh, offset would probably be like Magors. Uh, other than that, you probably want a uh, straight up horizontal and horizontal or maybe offset by one or two hexes so that you can get your starting hexes within three range of the opponent's starting hexes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very critical to get those three range starting hexes as many as possible for the most part as you want to be able to just shoot for your first activation once or twice and then charge in. Not so much to get the damage off, so much as you just want to attack every turn. As you want to have 12 activations, 12 attacks on Farsh Riders. Right. Um, Having all your fighters be close enough to inspire turn one for most matchups is pretty nice. It forces them to make different attacks to try and keep you from inspiring or... If they focus one guy, it lets your other guys inspire. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you have like a favorite down, board? Uh, I like the old Shadespire boards, and I like the new Beastgrave boards. Beastgrave boards give a lot of options for them. Uh, there is a board that my opponent can use where they have three hexes in the middle that I hate. Um, oh, it's the backside of the uh, Amber Shard pit. Amber, yeah. Yeah, it's got three hexes just adjacent to each other in the center. And if you have a five-man warband, it means that I cannot shoot you turn one without assistance from a card. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a real damper on me. Um, That's the only board that's really a problem for me on the opponent's side. People love to run the three blocked hexes. I don't know why. I think they think it counters me, but it doesn't. I, I don't know. Um, sure. Nope. Okay. Uh, the lethal hex, typically want to put it behind one of the opponent's starting hexes. If they don't have enough fighters that you can gar- that they will guarantee put a, a fighter next to it, you put it where you don't want them to put their fighters and just kind of coerce them to go away from that area. So if they have some hexes that are close but not close enough, you put it behind there and just make them think, ah, maybe I shouldn't put it next to the lethal hex. Um, Even if you weren't planning to go over that direction. Uh, You don't want to create choke points if they set you up in a bad way where there's choke points, just keep it away from there because you only have so many wounds and taking a lethal hex is like 10% of your total wounds. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty comprehensive answer there and, and sounds like you kind of answered some of the questions I was intending on asking. So, um, uh, you know, kind of kind of great stuff there, you know, kind of what you're your preferred board setups are, and then, you know, kind of some things to keep in mind when, when setting up and, and deploying the warband. Um, you know, we, we kind of figured out already how you kind of play them in the current meta. So I, my last question for you in regards to the warband specific questions is what are some tips or tricks or things to even keep in mind when playing this warband for a first time? Let's say if someone is just getting into the game or has never played them before. Like, let's say your top, your top five tips. Top five tips. Um, You don't need to inspire every time. Uh, They don't get much power. They just get a little bulkier for the most part. Uh, Eagle Eyes probably got the best inspire next to, or and then Far Striders got the best inspire. Swift Blade does not inspire. Uh, (laughs) He gets one block, essentially, since the dodge meta is super prevalent right now. Um, hmm. make sure 
that you consider Farshider's floor movement. Uh, people sometimes forget that he has floor movement when the other two have three movement. Um, their melee attack is strong. Don't ignore it. If you can get a kill with your melee attack, or if you can set up a kill with your melee attack, it's typically okay to do it. It's also okay to just use your ranged attack right next to the opponent if it's the best position to be in and you're trying to score an objective. Uh, I'm not sure what else to put in there. I mean, yeah, sounds like those are some general good techniques and tips, so I guess... uh, In the late game, don't forget you can move. You can just move closer to the opponent, and then you can start shooting. Because I forgot, I forget that sometimes. I'm like, all right, I got to charge or I got to attack. I forget that moving is an option. Yeah, moving moving is definitely an option, especially when your opponent has already charged. So, um, yeah, super useful in some of those cases. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for talking about the the far striders and giving us your insight and your tactics and your techniques that uh, you've kind of learned along the way. What we want to do now is, is transition over to some rapid-fire questions. Uh, these questions are designed to just kind of have some fun, uh, fast, furious, you know, give us the first appropriate answer that comes to your mind. Okay. Who is your favorite fighter in the game? Uh, in the game total? Mm-hmm. Molog. Okay. I really want to run that Molog deck, but I can't get it through. Which Molog deck? I just... A Molog or Molog is the man. Oh, okay. You should check out uh, Michael Carlin's deck. He uh, he did really well in that last online event, and uh, Molog is definitely the man in that one. Uh, favorite warband to play, and if ac- applicable, what does that say about you as a person? Uh, my favorite warband to play is probably Farshiders, and it says that I don't need, I don't know, I, I just try to tactically approach my gameplay where every move leads into the next move, into the next move. I don't know. Sounds like you were going to say you don't need, like, the new shiny stuff to win. <sighs> you know, I kind of I, – I like the new shiny stuff. I don't get any of it, but I like it. <laughs> Fair enough. If you could bring back any card from Season 1 back to Championship Format, what would it be? Time Trap? Time trap? Quick thinker? Uh, oh, oh, those are you went like real off the deep end there. <laughs> no, um, probably trap. I like trap a lot, or you yeah. can trap pit trap somebody. That uh, you, I mean, you can technically do that with snare and pit trap, but I guess it doesn't apply to to far striders. So it does not apply to far striders. <laughs> For that reason, let's bring back trap. Is there a model that you've really enjoyed painting uh, or working on specifically in Underworlds? Uh, probably the model I enjoyed painting the most was uh, Steelheart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've only painted a couple of the warbands, but I painted my Steelhearts with a pumpkin theme, a Halloween theme, replaced mm-hmm. their heads with pumpkins, their weapons with like sighs and flails, and added a whole bunch of rust effects. On Steelheart, his sword is very rusty, and I gave his head... I replaced his head with a skull with flames on it. That's awesome. He's super spooky. Is he uh, the head... I guess he's kind of like the headless horseman in a way? Yeah, he's got a pumpkin head in his hand instead of his helmet. Nice. It's great. So let's talk about your least favorite fighter in the game. Um, hmm. Hmm. Least favorite in that I don't like playing against them, or just... Just don't like, like them. Just you just don't like them. Whatever reason. I don't like Snurk. I don't like playing against Snurk. He just rolls his ball around and says, "You can't hit me. I've got three dodge." And then he does three damage to you because he rolled enough correct dice. Uh, as model wise, I probably don't like Karash or Narvia from the Eyes of the Nine because it's just like. Why do you exist? I could probably do better with just the big bladed uh, <laughs> guy, and they're just yeah. gory. They're just gory for the opponent. That uh, I, 
I don't know if people would have been as blunt as you would as you were, but I I don't know if you'd find many people that disagree. So let's talk about the future, right? Um, you know, Underworlds, three seasons in. I'm sure there's a fourth season on the horizon. What kind of warband would you like to see in the future? Uh, whether it's a specific mechanic, faction, a style, perhaps even a model count, what would you think would be cool? I I think I'd like to see the Aqua Elves with their uh, Namardi Reavers and Namardi Bowmen. The Iden at the Deepkin? Yeah, the uh, yeah. Iden at the Deepkin. I just like their uh, models. I mm-hmm. made the uh, Ripa's Snarl Fangs out of uh, the Akelian Guard, uh, yeah. the Elves on Eels. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they look really awesome. And I imagine having the Bow Namardi and the Blade Namardi will give them a lot of options with like high damage to wound fighters running about. That sounds really cool. Do you think you'd like to see some sort of like uh, fish critters that come with them? <laughs> They've got this octopus guy on uh, one of their models. If they could mm-hmm. just take the octopus and have him running around with his club and his dagger, and if like I'm gonna as his like you. own model, that'd be pretty yeah. funny. That'd be cool actually. I have a conversion going where I was gonna make the uh, Godsworn hunt, and instead of the dog, I was gonna have that octopus. <laughs> That that would be cool. You could also use him as like a snark too, I guess, because he's got so many arms and he's just kind of flying around. <laughs> so let's talk about your forest riders. If there's one thing you could change about your current warband or a card that they currently have in their faction, what would it be? I would I would give them the hunter keyword. Yeah. Definitely would give them the hunter keyword on all of them. Agreed. Uh, I did see something online the other day from I think Wigglefish. Uh, Jonathan, where he was saying their potential uh, upgrades, they would add a Griffhound to the Farshares. That would be super cool. I don't know what I would use the Griffhound for other than, oh, hey, I have another person to make an activation with. Right. Oh, you're probably talking about Derek's uh, Derek's article on uh, Can You Roll a Crit, where he rolled like, what he would do to change the older warbands. That's it. Yep. That's yeah. it. Yeah. For a card, um, I'll, I'll put Furious Blow where it wouldn't have to be on Eagle Eye. Make them just, all strongest. Just on anyone? Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be nuts. That'd be they nuts. Have, they have so many fighter-specific cards. It's like Flashing Hand Axe, uh, Cleave Eye, the Sharp Eye on Eagle Eye, mm-hmm. Thrusting Blow on uh, Swift Blade. It almost seems like it's a Season 1 thing. If you look at all the Season 1 Warbands, they've got a lot of fighter-restricted cards. Yeah, but, like, more than half of their upgrades in the Far Shires are restricted to specific fighters. Mm-hmm. I can see I can see why, considering some of the newer Warbands don't necessarily have that, that challenge. But um, I still think you've done a, a wonderful job with them, and your recent online performance as well as your local performances seem like you are... Uh, one of the uh, experts in the field there. So if people do want to learn more about you or find you and, and talk to you about Farstriders, where can they reach you? Is Discord the best spot? Definitely Discord is the best spot for me. Uh, my name is Kilorodado on the uh, thing. K-I-L-O-R-O-D-A-D-O. I'm pretty sure nobody in the world has the same uh, username as me, as it's pretty unique. Uh, hashtag 3049. Yeah, it is pretty unique, and I, I feel like I've butchered it every time I've mentioned it on my on Path to Glory. So people often default to Colorado, the state. I don't, I don't like, know why. Well, I threw like an extra D in there. I put Kildo Redado, and I was like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know why. But anyways, awesome. Thank you for you know throwing your your username out there and uh, allowing our community members to reach out to you should they want to talk to you about uh, Forest Riders. And also, thank you so much for just coming on the episode. I know we had kind of like a scheduling issue yesterday, but uh, I'm really glad we could get this done. And, uh, you know, I've been really excited because I think you are probably one of the better, or if not the best, Farstrider player out there right now. And, and I'm really happy we, we got to share some of your uh, insight with them to the community. Yeah, I'm like the best out of four Farstrider players. <laughs> hey, man, that's what, top 25%, I think? <laughs> yep. So now there's plenty more, trust me. There's a lot of people who wish they could make them work and and I think the fact that you have done so well with them so consistently is is, is awesome and 
Uh, they were my favorite war band in season one. And, uh, you know, I have taken uh, inspiration from your deck and created my own deck as well. But, uh, you know, I took out Furious Blow, but now that you keep talking about it so highly, I think I might throw that back in. So <laughs> we'll see what happens there. Thank you so much again, man. I really appreciate it. Is there anything that you wanted to share or say uh, before we close out the episode? Nothing in particular, no. Okay. Well, thank you so much again. And uh, that's it for this episode. So if you have any feedback, questions, or comments, let us know on Facebook at Path to Glory Podcast. You can also follow us on Podbean, where you can find the show notes for this episode. Please rate us on iTunes. It really helps uh, spread the message of the podcast and get it to uh, more people. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Path to Glory Podcast. Thanks for listening. And as always, we wish you the best of luck on your Path to Glory. Don't forget your unspent glory. Nice.